Hi, I'm David Ford, former goalkeeper for the Republic of Ireland. My last club was Cambridge United, Portsmouth FC, uh, Millwall Football Club, Cardiff FC, Derry City, and a few loan spells with Luton and Bournemouth. David, you've had a remarkable career, not just because you made 400 plus appearances in the AFL, but because you didn't become an established number one uh, goalkeeper in England until you were 29. Before that, you spent most of your career in Ireland, but we'll start with how you got into football. How did you get scouted? How did I get scouted? I took an unconventional route into football. Um, I was always too small or too heavy or always had loads of potential as a young kid, but never fully... um, fulfill that so my first steps into football were after playing Sunday league and junior football and studying back in Ireland left college after about six months in there I found it hard at university I wasn't the most academic at the time Um, and then working with my dad on building sites and working as a a, what you call it um, working in supermarkets stacking shelves and as a merchandiser for Coca-Cola and Cadbury's and Doing all that kind of stuff as a, as a young man, going around the around Galway City on my bike was uh, was certainly an interesting time. And uh, Donna Reardon, who former of Notts County and Torquay manager, he came over to Ireland, well, back to Ireland. He's a Dublin man, and he took over at Galway United. And he wanted to bring local young talent and reinvigorate and re-energize the club. So he started, you know, putting out his scouts and seeing who's the best talent around in the city and. He liked the look of me and he took me on board and uh, the first season, um, I think it was 1999, 2000, so uh, a fair while ago now. And that was my first steps into the pro game, even though it was amateur back then, but way it was set up, it was nearly full time and, and professional. Plus as well, he sent me on trial to your beloved Derby County when I was a young lad. So. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I didn't realise yeah. that. Yeah. Were you, were you always going to be a goalkeeper? Because we hear stories of certain players either starting up front and then just being put in goal and finding that they're very good at it or was it was it always a goalkeeper from the set go? Oh, always a goalkeeper. I just loved playing in goals. I just loved I loved getting dirty. I just loved the whole the rough and tumble of it. I loved the bravery aspect of it. I just loved the whole challenge because everything was a challenge about it, you know, whether it was your handling, whether it was your ball striking, whether it was your bravery and not just bravery of coming at people's feet. It was the bravery of coming for crosses and with my GAA background and playing Gaelic games and Gaelic football, whether that was hurling or Gaelic football, it did give me a slight advantage when it came to aerial balls and, and handling skills. So it just was something that came really natural to me and it was following in my brother's footsteps. He was the original spark and then I just thought, wow, this, 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 the art, the goalkeeping, I just fell in love with it. And um, yeah, from day one, from seven, eight years of age, from jumping around in my sitting room to jumping around on the tarmac as a young kid as you do like you know so yeah it was always always be a goalkeeper for me you, you do have to be wide differently to be a goalkeeper don't you yeah I always fancy myself as a bit of a centre forward <laughs> fielder, but never got the chance but um, yeah it was just it was amazing it was top class so you made a League of Ireland debut for Galway United when you were 20 then you moved to Barrytown in Wales for a bit and then you were spotted by West Ham and signed for them. How did that move come about? Because it's quite a stark contrast playing in Wales 
compared to what, compared to what it would be playing in the lower leagues in England. Yeah, it's it's the, the like what you said. It's just the the time and the speed from getting to where I was to where I got to, and and that's the maddest thing is is to get that to take that into your mind to get that into your mind that within the space of about maybe nine months, yeah, probably was nine months, seven months. I went from League of Ireland, League of Wales to the January, and that was probably to West Ham, and that was such a huge transition. But how that came about was we had. Uh, a left back playing with the club and a centre half, Scott Morgan, and he played for Dorchester. Um, he was uh, he was at Bournemouth as a, as a trainee, and he was at um, Brentford as well. And his dad, Stuart Morgan, who was Harry Redknapp's chief scout and is still very close with Harry today, um, was working with him at Bournemouth and West Ham. And he came over to watch his son play in the west of Ireland on on a couple of Friday nights because we used to play Friday nights back then, and he just seen me playing in a couple of games and he thought wow he goes I like the look of um, the keeper he's definitely got a bit so Scott left in the um, he, Scott left to go to Barrytown that summer he was having contract disputes and he was feeling a bit kind of homesick and he thought right it's time to head back to the UK Peter Nicholas was manager and Kenny Brown was his assistant and they were in the Champions League at the time Barry so Scott signed and they were looking for a goalkeeper. They were stuck for a keeper and uh, Peter Nicholas rang Stuart and he says, look, I'm looking for a keeper. I need a keeper. And he says, well, there's a young lad with bags of potential in, in Ireland. Um, if I was you, I'd go and sign him. So he rang me up and asked me would I be interested in going to Barry. And like that as well, I was having the whole contract disputes as well because Galway United at the time was having financial difficulties. Um, so really it was a no-brainer and when I was younger I would always found it difficult to go to the UK I just didn't feel I was mature enough or ready enough when I was when I certainly as a, as a young man like a lot of my friends would have did when they were like 15 or 16 so my hats goes after them lads you know it took some courage to do that um, so I finally plucked up the courage and um, off I went to um, Barrytown and signed there in I think it was May June time well so by the time you because you went to West Ham and signed for them by the time you signed for them, you were 23. So still quite young in terms of goalkeeping uh, standards uh, and also getting towards the age where you're not just a prospect anymore. So did you go to West Ham with the expectation of becoming the number one goalkeeper there? Not necessarily because where I was in myself, you know, I, I went from being, you know, seven months, eight months earlier playing in the League of Ireland to a Premier League club where England's number one um, Shaka Hislop there was there, Raymond van der Hoek came in, Stephen Bywater was there, and there was a fantastic, you know, fantastic um, caliber of goalkeeper there. So I was always realistic to know that right, my my chances are going to be limited here. But just the prospect of going to a Premier League club really, really appealed to me. And in 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 my own belief and how small I actually felt to myself, I always felt it was difficult to to make it number one at the club. So I never really, um, I never really took ownership of that. I never really owned the the position or whatever else. And it was more of a, a learning experience, more so than anything for me. Because bear in mind that I came from a, a part-time amateur background. So coming into West Ham for that two and a half, three years taught me so much about professionalism. Taught me so much about preparation. Taught me so much about performance. And on the other hand, it taught me so much about um, rest and recovery and what that actually like terms of diet, terms of sleep, so much. There was so much learning in that period. And uh, it was a massive step for me as, as a young lad at 21 years of age to go to the East End of London and, you know, start to find your own way. So that was definitely, definitely 
um, a serious, you know, grown up period for me. But it was also, um, I, I was living the dream. It was an amazing time. But yeah, at the other time, there was there was nearly two sides to me. You know, I was having such a great time with the football. And then once the football was, was finished, trying to fill that vacuum was a very difficult space. Does it take goalkeepers longer to mature? Because we see them peak later than you would do outfielders. Is that just because physicality, or physically, sorry, it's just different to being an outfield player? It's definitely, it comes down to, I think, the, the responsibility as a goalkeeper. I, I definitely do feel goalkeepers do bear more responsibility on the pitch than, than any other player. Um, and a, a striker is probably something similar, you know, where he's under a lot of pressure to um, score goals and wear down the opposite end. So there's definitely that polarity to it. Um, in terms of the maturity, it depends on the individual, really, because you look at the likes of Paul Robinson, you know, he came through at 17, 18 at Leeds. Um, there was definitely a lot of young goalkeepers that that did have the opportunity and the chance and take that chance. Um, and But the, the mainstream and the main goalkeepers definitely come into their peaks, you know, after their 30s. For me personally, from say 30, 31 up till 35, 36, that's when I felt my physical maturity. I felt powerful. I felt strong. I felt in my body as a man. Um, and mentally, I always had the, the you know, that, that mental maturity to the per- perseverance and the resilience to, to keep going, you know, even when you lose your confidence and stuff that you still have to step out onto that pitch. So that was a major, a major um, skill and a major um, faculty for goalkeepers to have. Um, and also then where I definitely think where the emotional aspect of it is 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 hugely um, immature when we're certainly younger and stuff. So as we start to gain that emotional intelligence and start to um, expand that and grow with that and they have that more awareness on the field and start to regulate those emotions, then we have a whole different level of performance happening. So I definitely feel when um, I started to you know, look into personal development and understand, start to learn about myself because I was always very intrigued by that. So it definitely led me into in, into that path and uh, what's kind of where I am and what I'm doing today. So it was definitely um, a huge journey and definitely like what you said, I definitely think it just depends on, on, on the individual and their, 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 you know, their circumstances and their environment of, of where they've come from. Mm. Obviously, you went on a couple of loans while you were at West Ham and then left to go back to Ireland. When you left uh, left England, what, what was going through your mind? Did you think that was it in terms of your career in England? Did you think at that point it was it was done or was there always an opportunity or a thought that you would try and get back into it one day? No, definitely. I always felt that I had unfinished business. Um, I had an opportunity. Leroy Rossiniar, <coughs> excuse me. Leroy Rossiniar contacted me when he was at Torquay when he was a manager just as I was driving out the gates at Upton Park at West Ham at Chadwell Heath, the training ground, and uh, he asked me to come down to Torquay. And at the time, you know, it was it was definitely a huge option and stuff, but I was just struggling with myself and, and my own confidence and I was actually missing home. So I thought to myself, right, what's my best options here? And I just felt to return home was probably the best, the best choice for me. <coughs> Excuse me. And where I did feel that, um, you know, going back, going back to Ireland would probably be my, my best option. There was always, like what you said, there was always that, that thing in the back of my mind that, you know, I didn't really fulfill my dream of actually playing in the UK and being, being a professional. And what my main motivation was, was to play for Ireland. That was always a huge, a huge driving factor for me and a new, huge driving force. And I knew I had to be in the UK at the time to, to fulfill that. 
So yeah, I went back to Galway and my thoughts were actually to um, pack in football. My thoughts were to go back and study as a mature student. And I'd spoke to my local um, head teacher. Or he was the head of the Irish school soccer team at the time, Jim Brennan he was. And he was my maths teacher. And I spoke about going back to uni and study as a teacher and to go back and um, teach at the base and go and teach. And then um, on the part-time basis, go back playing GAA Gaelic football with, with Galway. That was always my dream to play in Crow Park and playing in All-Ireland with them. So that was kind of my thoughts of, right, I've, I was so disheartened, I was so disillusioned with football that that was my pathway. And then, you know, fate has it and that wasn't my, my destiny. You know, Stephen Kenny, the current Republic of Ireland manager, came calling and he was looking for a goalkeeper to finish off the season. I think it was 10, 11 games up at Derry City. So he came and met me and I agreed to it and I went back up to uh, Derry City and like that, signed the following year and I stayed there for two seasons and we had, a, we had an amazing time playing in Europe and winning cups and um, lost the league on goal difference um, both seasons. So it was a usually successful time for me and it was such a sweet time. It was such an enjoyable time um, in, in my football career and one of the fondest when I look back with. Like, so that really re-energised my, my enthusiasm and my, my love for the game again. And then Cardiff City came calling just after that. So that was, I think, 2006, 2007, I'd signed for for Cardiff City in the January. Just before we move on to you move to Cardiff City, just how big is football in Ireland? Because I don't think people quite grasp the talent that comes over to the UK. There's, there's, there's quite a lot, especially at a young age, come over when they obviously when they're younger. Oh, there's a, a wealth of talent, a wealth of talent in Ireland. And predominantly when I was younger, it definitely came from the East Coast, you know, predominantly from the likes of Dublin and the size of Dublin, which has the biggest schoolboy um league in Europe as far as I'm aware of and then you have Cork and the players that have come out of Cork such as you know Roy Keane um, and then you know the other provincial areas which are becoming you know more more prominent now even the west of Ireland where I come from you have the likes of um, Greg Cunningham and a few other players coming out of you know young Aaron Connolly at Brighton and it's it's great to see it's great to see the west of Ireland and the west of Wake like you know so there's definitely a huge wealth of talent within Ireland and like that, they go over at such a young age and a lot of them, you know, struggle with homesickness and the difficulties of, and it is such a real challenge. And a lot of these young lads are still, you know, they're still, they're not even young men, they're still, you know, they're still, still young boys, like, you know, so it is a difficult challenge, but fair play to them, they go and they give it their best shot. Um, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, the majority of the time it doesn't work, you know, the large percentage um, goes against the players and they either return home to Ireland playing the League of Ireland or they drop out of the game totally. And I've certainly had some friends down through the years that, that have been in that space. Like my best friend, Ryan Casey, who was at Swansea City and um, he was a year or two pro there and got some serious injuries and came back and now he's he's a regional development coach and coaches Sligo Rovers back home. Um, Dara Sheridan, who was at Aston Villa as a YTS and came back as a... He did a year pro at Aston Villa at the time, and now he's head of he's one of the head of high performance coaches with New Zealand um, Olympic uh, sports. So yeah, there's definitely and Tony Follan. You know, Tony Follan was at Brentford. He was magic. He was at Crystal Palace. Scored one of the best goals, like halfway line job um, years ago. I think got goal of the season and stuff like that. Like you know, so I think Tony has uh, finished with the game now, but. Yeah. Um, absolutely one of the best players I've ever seen to, to grace the ball and stuff and uh, yeah so it's it's definitely um, 
it's definitely uh, uh, you know a, a huge uh, talent pool over there. Moving on to your move to Cardiff, you obviously went there uh, much older. What were your initial expectations with that move? Um, my initial expectation was actually to go and play. Um, I felt that I had two good seasons back at um, at Derry City. Uh, I won goalkeeper of the year in, in the League of Ireland. And I'd come over with the aspects of, right, Neil Alexander was having contract uh, difficulties and I thought, right, this is this is a fantastic opportunity to go in at the championship, go and play. We had got to, I think, the third uh, qualifying stage of the UEFA Cup. We were one game away from, from qualifying from the group stages, which would have been the first League of Ireland club to do that. And we just got beat, I think it was 2-0 away to Paris Saint-Germain, where we drew with them back in the Brandywell nil all. And they had Pauletta and uh, Cissé, they had some amazing made Landreau, the goalkeeper who played for France. So they're a seriously powerful team. And we had a great team as well at the time, like Paddy McCourt. And uh, it was it was great for myself to have that confidence coming back to the UK and actually thinking, right, I can really make a stab at this. So I came back and I sat on the bench. I think my first game on the bench was an FA Cup game away to Spurs. And there was a replay, actually, because we drew... Um, the, the game was a draw at Ninian Park. It was the one where Sam uh, Sam Haman was going around doing the Aitala and the place was going absolutely <laughs> mental and Spurs fans, it was all kicking off all sides, you know. And then they, they beat us comfortably down in down in um, White Hart Lane and that was my first game back in the UK and sat on the bench and came to the end of the season that year and um, Dave Jones put me in. And yeah, I did really, really well. You know, I, I, I thought I did enough to earned the shirt for the following season. The manager was speaking highly of me. Then I came back pre-season and it wasn't to be. I was still the same shirt number. I think it was 15 at the time. Michael Oakes came in, he had 13 and there was still another goalkeeper. He said, if I'm 15 and he's 13, who's the number one, you know? So we kind of set the alarm bells off and um, and that was kind of my time at, at, at Cardiff, really. And with the loan spell the following year to um, Luton and Bournemouth. How had you how had you changed compared to when you first moved to England? Obviously, you mentioned that you know you felt that you needed to mature. Um, obviously, you're you're a bit older and, and and as you say, a much better player. But how how had you changed as a person coming back to the UK? How would I change as a person? Um, I still I still had those doubts. I still had that that doubt in myself. You know, I'm still um, very critical of myself. But still, there was just still a burning drive and ambition, as I said, to to play for Ireland. You know, that was my driving, my driving um, goal and my driving force to, to, to get me through it. So coming back to the UK was always that sense of, right, I've, I've still work to do. I still have, um, you know, a dream to fulfill here. And I was still ambitious and hungry enough to, to do that. And luckily enough, you know, I'd, I'd been spotted again Um through that European campaign and doing well in the League of Ireland by Martin Margotson, who was the uh, England goalkeeping coach now, and he took me over to uh, took me off to Cardiff and stuff. So there were still huge aspects of myself that there were still parts of myself that was huge voids and huge vacancies in terms of my performance. When you're looking back as a as, as a young goalkeeper, and in terms of um, ambition and drive, that was always um, a big a big big strength of mine and uh, my openness to learning so I thought right I'll come over to Cardiff learn what I actually can and um, give it another stab and give it another go. 
Given that you came over to Cardiff City with the expectation of playing games, is there any resentment uh, over the fact that you didn't get to play as many games as you wanted to? Um, when was this at Cardiff? Yeah. Um, there wasn't so much a, a, a resentment. Um, the resentment probably came when the following season happened mm-hmm. and where the manager never notified me that all of a sudden now I wasn't just first choice, I wasn't second choice, all of a sudden I was third choice. So coming back to pre-season, pre-season starting the season, nearly starting, I was I was bitterly disappointed the way the manager, Dave Jones at the time, handled that because he could have given me some forewarning, you know, and I could have been forearmed with that information and actually thought, well, right, if this is the scenario in the summer, rather than having that illusion and that, um, you know, thing going on in my head that I thought I'm coming back to be, to be number one, that I could have went out on loan, I could have sorted out a club, and now everyone's got their their quota of goalkeepers, so I'm kind of stuck in a bit of limbo again here. So yeah, definitely the, that 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 frustration definitely um, boiled up, you know. And then I got a serious thumb injury. I did the ligaments on my thumb, so that was um, a, a fair bit of damage done at the time, like you know. And like that, I was I was struggling to grasp things. What was going on in my football career? I was thinking, right here we go again. This is this is West Ham again all over, you know. Um, then all of a sudden I get a call from Luton and they were looking, uh, Kevin Blackwell was manager and they were, I think, a third or fourth in League One at the time and flying high and I thought, well, there's a great chance, great opportunity to go down. So I went down there and Dimi Kareen was the goalkeeping coach and I had to get a cast from my thumb and I wasn't fully fit. And, um, uh, you know, I was definitely not fully fit, but I was so desperate to play that yeah. I strapped it up, did whatever I can and and played the games. And I, I did okay. I did well. I did well in some of the games and I was only on loan there for six games or seven games or something like that and then returned back to back to Cardiff and stuff. But um, all, I, all I remember is my thumb hanging off. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely struggling, yeah. Wow. So did that loan move, like, drive a desire to find a club where you can go and really play games because you said as a goalkeeper position wise those once those positions are filled it's very difficult to get in to, to another club unless there's an injury yeah 100% and it's only now I realise that when I look at my son who's nine under nine or under ten he's nine now he'll be ten in April and when I go up to Sunday football and uh, go up to his games his training on a Saturday and you just run, look around the local park and you just see hundreds of kids and then it just dawned on me one day after I retired now, I'm, I'm what, a year and a half retired now, that I thought, well, out of all these kids in the UK, thousands and thousands of kids, and then you think of all the thousands of kids in Ireland, and now that net has even grown bigger, you know, before it was it was pretty localised to the, the UK, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ireland, Wales, that was that was the, the, the mass, you know, you get a nod foreigner from Europe, and now you can go, players are coming from all over the world, so... When you think of that scale, when you brought when I brought that out, when I realised, I thought, wow, I'm after playing X amount of games from my country, X amount of games of professional football. Oh, it might have felt like a rescue mission, but there was something really fulfilling to actually realise that I managed to um, pull on those shirts for so many clubs and, and wear them shirts with pride. And I had such so many great times and so many great memories with, with all those clubs that you know they'll 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 go with me to the grave. Obviously, that led you to moving to Millwall, where, little did you know, you were going to make over 300 appearances and spend nearly a decade of your career there. Yeah, I got to, I think it's 341 or 342. I got one um, behind the great Brian King. 
and he's just released his book there recently, um, The Lion's King. And Brian's an absolute gentleman, and he's living in Scandinavia now. I think he's scouting for Everton and stuff like that. So to get one behind him as the uh, the all-time appearances as a goalkeeper was uh, was a great achievement. It would have been nice to um, to match it or better it, but it wasn't to actually happen. But to go to Millwall and spend nine years at a club like Millwall was um, one of the best achievements in, in my career because understanding the club and understanding their tradition, their, whole, their, their culture and their history and what it takes to actually to be a success at that club requires serious levels of uh, determination and, and resilience and that ability to bounce back and that ability to um, you know keep keep playing with that courage and, and that pride because you know even though the club do get a bad rep um, and it's like that it's a small percentage of every club and anytime there seems to be a bit of problem it always goes back to, to Millwall and always gets highlighted so but to, to spend that nine years at Millwall was absolutely was amazing right some serious serious highs amazing highs and and like that there was some some crushing lows as well you know so it was definitely a roller coaster. Did you get a good vibe straight away about the club? Yeah, straight away. I always had a known. It was strange. I always had a known as a kid. I was always um, remember the little panini stickers years yeah, ago, yeah. and you'd have the crest, the little silver crest, and you'd have. You'd, I'd always remember the crests of the different clubs, yeah. and um, whether it was Southampton, whatever club it was, Man City, Man United, and I was a Liverpool fan as a kid. And there was just always something that always attracted me to the to the line. I always used to look at Millwall, and I always used to take the take in the results, you know, you always had a few kids when the, the results came up on the teletext back then, so that's all I am. <laughs> and um, you'd be listening to the results coming in on, on Grandstand on Saturday, and um, then all of a sudden Mick McCarthy was manager, you know, they had Tony Cascarino and being, being an Ireland fan, and all of a sudden, um, what you call it, Kenny Cunningham played there, there was, um, who else was there? Jeez, there was, you know, Richard Sadlier's played there. Yeah. So there were so many Irish players with that kind of content, uh, caliber and that type of affiliation that you grow up as an Irish kid and you're thinking, right, that that's certainly, certainly interesting. So when I, when I signed there and when I got the call to go to Millwall, yeah, it was a no-brainer because they were in League One at the time. Kenny Manager, or Kenny Manager, Kenny Jacket was the manager. Yeah. And... Um, John Burleson was the chairman and he'd just taken over from America with big ambitions. So I thought, right, this club is going in the right direction. They might be League One. However, they're a championship club, championship stadium, the facilities, they had all that there. And it was just like that. It was just it was just right for that challenge. And I knew, right, if I go and establish myself, Kenny wants me as his number one. It's, it's a no-brainer. I can go here. I can go play every week. And my ambition then was, right, we're a promotion get into the championship and once I get into the championship now I'm on the um I'm 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 open for you know to be spotted for 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 the Irish team. Was there any needle from Millwall fans because obviously you were at West Ham for a bit and obviously it's quite a spicy rivalry. Yeah it was a bit it was a bit spicy at the start. <laughs> there was a few there was a few shouts at the start. And I think what probably saved me was that I actually never actually played for West Ham in the first team, the closest yeah. I came, I, I sat on the bench five times for them, um, and that was the closest. That was the closest I came to actually starting and stuff. So when I did go to um, when I did go to uh, Millwall, there was that sense of right former former West Ham, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There was a few um, a few nice words said, a few few kind gestures to welcome me in. Um, 
And I think what probably happened was like that, that I kept persevering on it. I, I kept going. I kept turning up. I kept had the attitude that, right, now this is my club. And I was like that. I was like, whatever club I was at, I would give it my heart and soul. I'd give it absolutely everything. And then slowly but surely then attitude started to change and all of a sudden the club really took me on. Um, and I just, I just embodied the whole club. Just, it was just, it was everything for me at the time. Like, you know, so I, um, it was, you know, blood, sweat, tears, fears, the whole lot. Like, yeah. Well, see, you mentioned the ambition of Millwall when you, when you first got there, just been taken over in league one at the time, but there's an opportunity there to, to, to progress. You had quite an eventful first two seasons, two playoff finals, one, one, one lost. What's it like a losing the first playoff final and then B winning a playoff final. It was absolutely heartbreaking because that that first season Kenny had assembled the squad and I think you know I think his his first you know priority was right they nearly got relegated the year before. Now we've gone from being in a relegation fight and staying up I think on on the last day and then he signed myself Jimmy Abdu and he brought in a few other additions that summer and all of a sudden we found ourselves um, you know, slowly, slowly building that season. Next thing we found ourselves in the playoffs. Um, playoff draw comes and we get Leeds. Um, and we play Leeds at home first. <clears throat> we draw, go back to Leeds, and it's you know live on Sky. At the time, Leeds had, I think it was a 39 or 42,000 capacity at Ellen Road. The place was absolutely hopping. And it was probably the biggest crowd I ever played against or played in front up until that point. And I was... I was probably 28 at that stage, 27, 28. So that was a huge, huge game for me. And I remember coming into the game thinking, right, we're, we're serious kind of underdogs here, but we had a kind of quite confidence about us. Um, first few minutes, uh, there was a penalty. Jermaine Beckford stepped up. I dived to me bottom right-hand corner, push it onto the post, and we keep the score, nil all. And we're like, right, Jesus, great, we're all jumping around. Then about 10 minutes later, Ball comes down the left, crossing, diving header, Becchio. The roof just absolutely lifts off. The noise was absolutely insane. I can still remember it to this day. It sent a shit up my spine. And <clears throat> you're just thinking, right, this is, uh, here we go. Like, this is, get the hard hats on. Like, you know, there was absolutely pound coins flying everywhere. I must, I must have picked up about 40 quid out of the goal. Like, you know, at least I would have had a, a train fare home. And um, <laughs> he, we go up the other end, we break up the other end, Jimmy Abdu pops in, scores a header, and um, next thing we find ourselves, we, we, we were true, you know, and after that narrow 1-0 win at, at, um, at, at the den, so that was amazing, that was amazing, we thought, right, we're after beating Leeds, they were by, by and far the best team in the league, and now all we have to do is play Swindon in, in the, um, or play Scunthorpe in the final, and we get to play against Scunthorpe, but the only thing about Scunthorpe was that they beat us twice that season. It was just they were just one of our teams. They were just like um, we couldn't even in our best days we still couldn't beat them. Like you know, there was definitely that hoodoo over us. So we get to we get to um, Wembley, and I think at the time, and I still believe it could still be a record. I think for for one single team, Millwall got fifty five thousand tickets. And they had one whole half of the stadium and the place was just blue. And it was like something out of the Coliseum. It was like something out of the Gladiator, the movie. And we come out and they had the flamethrowers and you come out and it was 108 degrees or something. And it was 
bacon and they're these flamethrowers and they're burning the eyebrows off you and you're on sweating. are <laughs> in a playoff final you're thinking right this is going to define my career there's so many permutations there's so many things happening and you look over to the other end of the stand and I think they had eight or twelve thousand there's this little section and you just see this full stadium and then half empty so we kind of had a sense of entitlement we thought right we're the bigger club we deserve it we deserve to be in in the final and um they were the better team, you know, they were certainly the better team. But, but saying that, we had the chances. Gary Alexander probably scored the best live goal I've ever seen. And yeah. uh, volley at Wembley mm-hmm. was absolutely sensational. Yeah. And he was on a brace, he scored two. And he should have scored a hat-trick. The last, I think, 10 minutes, ball came into the box. And Gary's unbelievable with his, with his head like, you know, he'd scored this 10 times out of 10. And he was about two, three yards out from the line. And he headed it wide. It's it's like if you were to look at it a hundred times, you think, how how's he missed that? Like you know, and he missed it. Um, next thing, Scunny go down the far end, and the equalise makes it two all. Hmm. Next thing, they get go on and get a winner three two, and we're just totally deflated. We just come in off that game, just thinking, what just happened there? We should have been we should have been promoted. And I remember Kenny coming in afterwards, and he came in, and he gave a speech, and he said, right, we'll just you know, put this behind us. We know what we have to do. Next year, we'll come back stronger. We'll be in the same position and we'll get promoted. Lo and behold, a year later, we find ourselves back in Wembley in the same place, um, same situation against Swindon. And we just had this, you know, steely determination. You know, we had that absolute, um, we had that like bravery of a line, as I say, like, you know, that we, we stepped out onto the pitch and we just knew, we just knew going out in the tunnel that we, we won the game, we'd win the game. We arrived at the stadium in our tracksuits. You know, I think the first club ever to wear a tracksuit to, to Wembley. Because we were just we just met, went back to basics. We went back. I think we might even we, did we stay in our own homes that night and just meet that morning. I think we could have done that because we did the whole night over thing before and going to Wembley and caught up and you know taking pictures and cameras and we got there and Swindon were there in their lovely suits and taking pictures and photos and then um, we just rocked up rocked up in our booked tracksuits. That were absolutely shocking, and uh, yeah, we went on. We went on to win the game, and it was it was it was an amazing game. One one nil, and I kept three clean sheets in in two in the semis and and one in the one in the final. So it was a big big achievement for me, and um, the the it was a peak experience. You know, it was a, just a, a superb experience. I can't describe to you the the adrenaline that went through my body. Like I didn't even have a drink that night. You know, right. I was on such a high. It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh, no, dear listener. There's also training wear, track suits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. So uh, we'll get on to other Wembley trips um, I thought you were going to get on to the night out. 
Well, I was going to ask about the tracksuits. Obviously, you went to you visited Wembley a couple of times after the, after this one. Did you wear tracksuits every time? Did it become a, 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 a as you say, a bit of a hoodoo? You know, a bit of a good luck charm. Um, yeah, because we got there with um, we got there for the semi final as well of the FA Cup. Yeah, and yeah, that was that was that was just tracksuits as well. It, was just, <laughs> it wasn't the final, and it wasn't a kind of thing to do, like you know. But um, and then going back there a couple of times, I went back a couple of times with Ireland, and it was a, it was the same thing. So yeah, I've been I've been lucky enough to I think it's to play at Wembley four times or five times, and go there maybe three or four times with with, with teams and clubs. So whether that was with Cardiff when they got to the FA Cup final and stuff like that, like so yeah, it's Wembley is such a, a special special stadium. Mm. You know, it's like and that's that's the best way I can describe it. It's it's like the Coliseum. It's like something on the Gladiator. It's the, it's the absolute home of football, and when you get there, there's a vibration and a feeling off it that is 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 yeah. off the Ripple scale. I certainly I think it depends on what side you're on, whether you're on a winning side or a losing side. Being a Derby fan, as you say, it's the losing side more often than not. So, yeah, yeah, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. So no, I definitely I've definitely been on both sides. And yeah. like going back to your earlier point, when when you lose at Wembley, there's there's nothing more deflating. You know, it took me it took me days, it took me weeks, it took me months to get over. Yeah. You know, and then winning was such a high that I was on a high for months after. Absolute high. Right. Yeah. So obviously, winning the playoff final, you come up into the championship. We all seem to settle fine. They finished ninth under Kenny Jacket. Just how big of a jump was it for the club? As seasons after that, there seemed to be a period of regression where you know league table finishes just sort of dropped down. But obviously, first season finished ninth, and then after that, sort of to drop down. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, one, one thing is, I think, with, with Millwall is, you know, when you take into budgets into account, and certainly over the last few years, you know, some of the budgets that's been in, in the championship has been Premier League, Premier League budgets, you know, and that's difficult to um, compete with, you know, especially with crowd attendances, etc., etc. Um, and I definitely think why Millwall does excel for that first or two, first year or two back in the championship, and there is a pattern there. You know, if you look at that down through the years, you'll probably see that. Um, and I definitely felt that with the motivation and the confidence and that pure relation that, you know, players are going up that season. And whether it's you go from the championship to the Premier League, you feel you have um, a point to prove. So your your whole focus, your whole determination and your concentration and energy levels are so channeled into that, into that space mm-hmm. that you will be successful. And then maybe a bit of complacency kicks in the following season you think right yeah jesus we're 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 either championship players or premier league players and then you probably drop off maybe five ten percent which you can't actually do um so for us that that season we finished ninth and i think it was only we only finished ninth on um we had a chance my my son was born on the 30th of april so that was the second last game of the season we played swansea the year swansea got promoted Darren Prattley was in that team and a few, I can't remember the um, few others, but mm. um, he stands out to me. And they were going for promotion, as were we. And my son was born um, that evening. So that morning I had gone up to, uh, I'd gone up to the hospital with my wife. She was going to be induced. And I was like, right, didn't know whether, you know, to go play the game or whatever. And she was like, right, this could be a while or whatever. She says, go and play the game. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm gone. So next thing I'm in the car, ringing the manager on the way up. And um, I'm overtaken about a line of about 
maybe about 60 cars on the wrong side of the road and there's a cop <laughs> waiting for me at the top of the road <laughs> Alderton Road and uh, he stops me and uh, he looks in and it was one of the one of the one of the the guards from the stadium and he says yeah come on go on you got a game you're late <laughs> so I arrived I arrived at the hotel you know I should have been arrested and I arrived at the um I arrived at the stadium and I think it was about quarter past two got changed got out and I did a wash probably the shortest warm-up I've ever done um because of the nature of the game the size of the game it was it was massive like because if we win this we probably qualified for the playoffs and they beat us 2-0 or 2-1 and we just weren't really at the races that day um, they got promoted that year and we ended up finishing ninth. Um, and it was such, you know, there's such, there's been a few times in my career, just so small margins that has either cost us whether we didn't sign a player or whether it's it's just come, the Premier League just came so close to me a few times, like, you know, so that was, um, that was disappointing. Um, and like that, we finished ninth. I had 20, I think I finished that season with 21 clean sheets or something like that in the championship. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when my Ireland call came as well. So hmm. it was a, a big season. Yeah, absolutely. As well as that, one of the highlights of you playing for Millwall was the FA Cup semi-final, as we mentioned. You came up against Premier League side, uh, Premier League side and eventual Wig- uh, winners in Wigan. Wigan did get relegated that season as well. So perhaps there wasn't that big of a gap between the sides as you'd expect between a Championship and a Premier League team. Was there a belief that you could get to the final? We, it, it's so funny, that was such a, a crazy, that was such a crazy season for a number of reasons. And why it was crazy, because if you went back to December of that season, we were fifth and we were unbeaten in 18, 19 games. We were absolutely flying. We, I thought, right, this is our season. And I came to the January transfer window and we tried to sign Chris Woods, who's now at Burnley and uh, uh, he was on loan from Leicester mm-hmm. and it didn't actually work out and... No, I think he went to Leicester after that. Um, I'm not sure what the... But anyhow, um, we missed out on, on Woodsy at the time and he was he was massive for us. He was, he was major and a major, major signing. Um, and then after that, we, we got into the, the, the FA Cup and we beat Blackburn. We beat a few other clubs, Aston Villa on the way. And we get to the semi-final and then our league form just took a, took a dip. So I'm not sure, was it? Yeah, we played the semi-final and we'd seem to kind of shift our concentration from now all of a sudden we're going to go for the playoffs in the Premier League to we're having a cup run because our league form just absolutely nosedived. So where we ended up in the league on the last day of the season was at your your beloved uh, Derby County at Pride Park. I think Connor Salmon scores last minute, beats us 1-0. We lose 1-0 and we're basically relegated. Thankfully, our neighbours up in uh, South London Palace came back to beat Peterborough 3-2 in the last few minutes. And Peterborough went down, we stayed up, and um, I think Palace got into the playoffs, or Palace stayed up, I think, whatever. So, so many things going on at that time. So, bear going back again, a couple of weeks earlier, we got to the semi-final with, um, with Wigan, and going back to your early point was that um, we had so many injuries that day as well. We so we I think we had Sean St. Ledger playing centre midfield for us, and we just had a makeshift team. We were just on. We were we were struggling like you know it was all hands on deck, um, and it was a tight game, tight affair. And then they went down and beat us, beat us two 0 But I definitely think if we had a, a full side and a full team, I definitely think we would have we would have given it a, a better shot, and we would have definitely um, you know laid a few more punches on them. But uh, it wasn't to be. Then all of a sudden. We can we can get to the final against Man City and beat them in the final, which was absolutely insane. So, 
yeah, it was it was just great to to get to to an FA Cup final, and it would have been nice to to get to a final. Yeah. So moving on to the the season after the, the club were unfortunately relegated in the 2014-15 season. What, that, that that summer after they were relegated, after you were relegated, was there an opportunity to leave? Because I think Neil Harris said that you could leave to sort of enhance your international career. Was there an opportunity to leave? Yeah, there was um there was a couple of opportunities. Um and one was Fulham. And Fulham came in strong and then last minute, um I don't know whatever happened, whatever it, it looked like it was going to be a done deal. Um and, and it didn't really happen. Um, so then I'd kind of got my head around it and I thought, right, because one part, and it was a really difficult time because one, one half of me was like, I've spent so long here at Millwall, I've given it absolutely everything. I've given it me heart and soul, you know. Um, and then there was another part of me thinking, right, there's a European Championships coming up. I'm number one with Ireland. Um, my form was really good. Even though we got relegated, I kept 16 clean sheets, 17 clean sheets in a relegated side, which is you know, un- unheard of. Um, so it was really, my form was still really good and I was still playing really, really well. Confidence was good. And um, it looked like I was going to be on the move. And then slowly but surely, it, it didn't actually happen. So then I kind of resigned myself to the fact of, right, let's 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 get my head down here at Millwall. This is not the end of the world. I'll play League One, you know, get, get, get back in it. Um, and get back and get back and get promoted again and get back into the championship the following season. Um, and then as that season started, you know, my, my own form took took a bit of a dip. I was struggling with a bit of confidence myself as the start of the season, and my performances weren't really up to scratch or up to standard. Um, and a lot going on at the time was ba- basically based around that. Was basically around right where is um, where is my I suppose international career going at the time. Um, and yeah, so I, I I did let it I did let it slip out of my hands. And um, young Jordan Archer, well, he wasn't so young at the time. Jordan came in and, and played really well. And then that season, we got back to I sat predominantly on the bench for most of that season, which was um, a difficult season considering you know the amount of games that I had, I had played in such a short period as well. So, but for me, it was always about the team and it was always about the club, and it was always about them first before myself. So I just thought, right, what's the best way I can do here, right? I'll just wait and get my opportunity. And Jordan's form, he played really, really well. And it just wasn't, um, just didn't actually happen. So I thought, what's the best thing I can do here? Support the team, support the club, support Jordan in goals, and then just wait for my opportunity. And um, we ended up getting back to the, the playoff final that year against Barnsley. And we played against a, a really good Barnsley side and, uh, like that, we we never really performed on the day. We got beat 3-0, I think. And that was disappointing as well, because you're thinking, right, we get back to the championship the following season and and, and we got beat again. So that was that was difficult. And then we went over to just after that final, I um I got on the I got a flight straight over to London and headed up and met with Ireland in Cork in um for a game against Belarus before the manager named the squad to go to the Euros in twenty sixteen. So it was certainly um, an interesting season, and like that, it was an interesting few days. That that Wembley final to to mm. not going to the Euros. So obviously, at the end of that season, you, you mentioned you lost your place to Jordan Archer. You chose to move on. You went to Portsmouth on loan. What was it like leaving Millwall? Were there any regrets there, or was it a case of just wanting to to play games? Um, 
it was a case of I just wanted a gig because I started to come to that age. I was probably 37 at the time. And I thought, right, I'm coming into the twilight now of my career. And I just want to play games. That's that's all I've ever wanted to do. That was always my motivation was to play football. You know, the money aspect was never my motivation. It was always just the love of the game. I just love playing games. I used to love crossing that white line, putting my kit on, putting my boots on, my shin pads, my gloves. And it was like, um, it was like a, a what you call it, a, a superhero suit. You know, it just transformed you. It just thought, well, Jesus, this, this yeah. is... I'm born to do this is what I would live to do like you know so I just I love the the competition I love the challenge as I said so I loved I love playing games so I thought to myself right I can I can stay at Millwall and bear in mind I only went on loan so I thought right let's go to let's go to um I didn't feel my career at Millwall was actually over because what I thought was let me go play some games at um play some games at Portsmouth and get them promoted and I did feel that going down there, we would get promoted with the team that we that we had, and um, the way the size of the club and the way it played, it was very similar to like going to Millwall at the first stage. Um, and then I thought, right, if we get promoted, then you know Millwall get promoted, I get promoted, conference is back. I'm I've spent nine years now at the club, so it's about having a different type of discussion at the end of the season. So lo and behold, go to go to Portsmouth. Um, we end up getting, um, we end up winning the league. We end up getting promoted, and then winning the league on, on the last day of the season was absolute riot or over stuff. Getting carried off the pitch at Fratton Park was absolutely insane in front of like eighteen thousand. Yeah. So that was a really, a really special moment in in, in my career. Um, and then that summer, get, getting a phone call from from Neil at the time to release me from the club. Um, yeah, that was that was that was a hard pill to swallow, to be honest. And just in the manner in which it was actually done, um, left a bit of a, a bitter taste in my mouth, but one that I, I totally understand, and one that I have massive respect for. Um, and I've said this before, I've, I've still a lot of respect for Neil and for John Burleson, the manager and Millwall Football Club, the fans and everything else for what they're giving me. But I definitely feel that clubs need to do more in terms of. You know how that separation and how that departure and, and that transition phase between players and clubs because I don't think clubs and players do themselves any favors in that space, especially with the fans and everybody else. And it, it, it's just, um, it can be very messy at times, you know, and uh, it's a shame really that that actually happens. And it's a, you know, I, I definitely think football can do more, whether that's clubs and, and players. Yeah, I think supporters take it for granted as well. Um, that sometimes you see players as commodities they're, they're quite easily disposable oh, in some senses yeah. which isn't the case as a human being behind uh behind the kit as such yeah 100 percent. we care you know and um a lot of people might look that they don't care and they might say the wrong things in the press or they might wrong it's just that they're hurting it's just that they're in pain it's just that they're suffering and hurt people hurt don't they mm. so when people see that they think ah oh, he doesn't really care he doesn't think because because he's hurt, he's been, you know, the, the, there's a sense of disappointment in that, that one that it didn't work out from and the grief and maybe uh, the bit of stick that he's getting as well is definitely, um, you know, chipping away at the old block. So there's definitely a lot, a lot in that, like, you know, there's definitely a lot to that. And and that was one of the reasons, what, what like as I said earlier, that led me to, to do what I'm, what I'm doing now and starting to look into that, you know, discovery around personal development and how you can you know, how you can enhance that, how you can improve that. So moving on to your international career, you were called up at the age of 32. 
And I think a theme of this interview is, you know, a lot of your football career was wanting to play for Ireland. Yeah, is that push to play for Ireland? Did you think that you'd missed your chance before getting your first call up? Um, yeah, there was there was definitely a stage where you know um, I had to let it go, and that was probably twenty eight, twenty nine, because there was a stage I was uh, I was at Millwall and I was going in and I was watching squads being announced every international break and you know, watching the goalkeepers getting in there and some great goalkeepers and just the sheer frustration and annoyance that I felt that I'm as good, if not better, than those goalkeepers. And I'm like, Jesus, this is really frustrating. So I thought this is making me really uptight. You know, my goalkeeping coach, Tony Burns, who was an absolute boss man, an absolute hero. He was like a father figure to me. You know, he was saying, you know, you're just that bit uptight. It's, it was making me uptight. So anytime I'd go to make the save, I just had that tightness on my body. I didn't have the full range of flexibility because of my mind was rigid, because my mind was fixed and it was in, caught in that frustration that my body was totally embodying that. So I wasn't doing myself any favours on, on, on the field neither. So as soon as I let go of that, as soon as I released that in my mind and uh, released that emotion and just let it go, then all of a sudden my performance started to enhance. They started to increase. Then all of a sudden... I get to start playing games and I've this newfound sense of freedom that I'm not trying to, you know, drive myself and steer my career into a certain place. Then it just happened naturally. You know, my natural ability started to flow and next thing Ireland came along. And uh, yeah, I think I was 31 actually when I when I got called up. Um, and then I made me full, I made me full um, debut with uh, in, in a World Cup qualifier at, the, at 33 which was the oldest player since World War II or something like that. Like, so that was uh, that was pretty special. And everything has always come late to me in my career. You know, I was always a late developer. So that's how that came about. Did you ever think you'd go on to play 24 times for Ireland? No, not a bit. No chance. I thought, as you said, 31, I get into a squad. Is this just a, a token effort or whatever? I remember speaking to Martin Byrne who, uh, and Bobby Ward, who were the security uh the head and assistant head of security with, with the Irish team and they were absolute boss men, they were absolute gentlemen and I remember just sitting on the floor with them and you know having a couple of cups of tea and all I said to them was geez I just want one cap, if I get one cap I'll, I'll, I'll die a happy man so to get to get, to get get 24 I've lived my dream 24 times so I'll, uh, I, can, I can sail off into the sunset with you know with, with such appreciation for that and getting that opportunity to actually to go and to go and do that yeah it was it was pretty epic obviously you got called up to go to the euros in 2012 as well how, again how big a moment was that for you to be picked as one of the the three goalkeepers to go to the euros yeah well, it was funny because it was um i was actually out of the team so mike taylor had um come in and displaced me my, my form and confidence at um i was having a bit of a turret to be fair to say the least you know mm-hmm. And my, my confidence was lowered in the snake's belly at the time. Um, so Kenny Jacket uh, brought in Mike. And, and Mike was brilliant. Mike came in and, you know, steadied the ship and we managed to stay up that season. So I think I missed maybe the last 10 games of the season. So I was pretty sweating. I was I remember being on holidays thinking there's a good chance here that I not might I might not make the, the squad for the Euros. So I remember just receiving a phone call and just hearing Alan Kelly say to me, you've been included in the 23-man squad to go to Poland and the Ukraine. And, and, and my wife has a photo and she has a few photos of it. And you can actually see the stress and tension on my face. And as soon as I get the phone call, it just drops off my face. 
<laughs> it just looked like a whole different human being. And it's, um, yeah, it was very funny. So, yeah, to get that phone call was, was absolutely mental. Like to think that you're going to uh, a European Championships and you think of, you know, you think of 1988, you think of like some absolute epic European Championships down through the years and stuff, especially as a young lad and stuff, like, you know. So, yeah, to get to a Euros was, was unreal. Obviously, that was under Giovanni Trapattoni, who's pretty much a legend in the game. What was it like playing under him? Because he seems like a, a bit of a, a bit of a nutter at times in his interviews. <laughs> yeah, he's a seriously clever man. Apparently, yeah. he's got like seven or eight languages. He can speak seven or eight languages. And uh, I used to love Trapattoni because you know he'd, he'd come down and uh, you know we'd have a we'd have a poor game or a poor result, and they'd start asking him questions in English, and all of a sudden he'd have his translator beside him, and all he'd say on your team was no comprende. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when we lost, he couldn't understand it, you know. And then we'd win a game, he'd be full of English and he'd be yeah. chatting away and stuff like you know. So he was um, no, he was definitely um, a clever man, and like that to to get an opportunity and to be get called up by this well. I suppose when we were, he was always called the godfather of the godfather of football management and stuff, you know, winning Champions Leagues and um, with Juventus and, you know, manager of Italy and yeah, just Bayern Munich manager. He had some pedigree and he was an absolute um, gentleman. I had a lot of time from and just through his sheer professionalism and his attention to detail was absolutely amazing. Um, and then Marco Tardelli was there as well, you know, after scoring the old lamb. Um, yeah, yeah. The winner at uh, what was that eighty two was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So just like to see that, and when I was, as I, as I, to watch that back when I was younger, the passion that man showed that day, like it nearly bring you to tears watching mm. it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was a great time. Obviously, you, you also played under Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane. What was it like to play under them? Because obviously, Martin O'Neill lost his job at Forest because they thought he was too old school. Some of the players were quite crit- critical of him. So what were they like when they came in? Yeah, they were they were certainly different to um, different cultures than, than what Trapattoni was, obviously. Um, and it was it was uncanny because you know you watch certain things with Brian Clough and the two lads came from you know Martin and Roy came from that Brian Clough era, and you can see certain similarities you know mirrored in their in their personalities and the way they communicate and various different things. Um, like that as well it's uh they came in and for me initially was yeah i was playing i was in the team doing well doing everything else and then um i think it came after the the scotland game just before we played poland the manager called me like i think just an hour before kickoff and told me that he was going to play shea and stuff so that all just changed and transformed in like as he said to me in in uh he had a gut instinct of of me not playing and it was really disappointing because at the time I was up for player of the season for, for, for the Irish team. It was myself, Robbie Keane and Seamus Coleman. Um, and I think Robbie got it. Um, so my form was, was, was really, really good. And it was a big shock at the time when I, when I did come out of the team. It was a huge shock to myself and uh, I think everybody else as well. Like, you know, but um, yeah, they're definitely, you know, they're very successful managers, very successful in what they've what they've gone on, gone on to achieve on and off the field. But um, yeah, they, they in the end, you know, with Ireland, they, they managed to get us to um, another European Championship. So you can't actually really argue with that. Mm. So shortly after your season at Portsmouth, you went on to play for Cambridge United before retiring in August 2019. What does the future hold for you? What, what are you currently doing at the moment? 
Yeah, so back in when I left for um, back in probably 20, let me see, 10 years, yeah, probably 2010, 2011, like that, I was struggling with my own confidence and, and um, you know, my own, my own depths and despair of my own psyche. So I started looking into personal development. I started checking out um, meditation. I started looking at different philosophies, different cultures, different therapies. Um, and I kind of started kind of really look into that personal development aspect of things like, you know, how can, how can I actually improve myself here? What actually affects my confidence? What's affecting my esteem? There were so many things that I had so many questions about. Um, and what that just opened up a portal in myself and what it actually led me to was a self-discovery of, of, of myself and who I actually really am because I only knew parts of myself. So then it came to... Um, it came to going on loan to Portsmouth and the synchronicity of that, what actually happened even in that event, because I was in the car with my own mentor at the time when we were driving down from, from London down to Portsmouth to sign the, the loan deal. And he had spoke to me and he was saying, you know, you may want to start to look at, you know, he's given me that guidance of, of having to look at, you know, next steps on my career, because, you know, a lot of people had said to me, you'd make a great goalkeeping coach, you'd make a great manager, would you not get into fun? And I just thought, right, I've given so many years to football that I thought I'd like to try something different. I feel my, my journey, my path in football is, is not the coaching as in football coaching. It was more along the coaching, mentoring around the psychology, around the emotional well-being of things and giving people that type of guidance because um, one is I've understood that journey and I've took that journey and how difficult it actually is. And, you know, I used myself as a, as a, a, a I suppose, a, a lab rat, really, to, to test all these tools and methods and um, methodologies of psychology or whatever else it is. So um, I arrived down at Portsmouth and that evening I flick up on my laptop. Next thing pops up on my screen, University of Portsmouth, um, executive coaching and personal development, um, three years or four years of master's. So. I went, I rolled up straight away, next day, signed up, um, and I went back and studied at the University of Portsmouth while I was down there and did my postgrad certificate, diploma, and then over a year ago then got my master's, which was um, an amazing achievement because when I was younger, I was just, I was so afraid of academia and stuff, and, and now, sure, I uh, it was just a different maturity in myself. So, yeah, to, to end up, you know, going getting getting my master's and going back to train with the European Mentoring and Coaching Council and, and to be a senior practitioner with them was certainly where I thought, right, where can I take my career? And like that, I thought, right, how can I help individuals? How can I help teams or organizations move forward and to get that sense of, you know, goal setting, action planning to work on their emotional and psychological well-being? So then just over a year ago, um, I set up my company, Pathfinder Coaching and Development, um, last year, um, I spent a year as the head of psychology with Crystal Palace Academy, which was a, an amazing experience. And then, you know, going to do some works with the likes of Bank of England and UEFA and doing some work with the FAI and working with individuals on, on that level has been, you know, really fulfilling and it's been such a, an exciting time. Plus as well, um, I practice um, breath work. And like what I said, it was, it was a big practice in my career, meditation and breath work, pranayama, breathing exercises. Um, so I, I teach them now every morning as well, every Monday to Friday at 7 a.m., whether it's professional athletes, whether they're in conference or Premier League level or whatever else, they come on board or whether they're in their 
teachers or professionals or corporates or whatever to to energize their day and, and captivate that side of things. So there's definitely those tools and techniques out there that that I used and were usually beneficial for 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 my performance, as I said, to prepare for the game, to perform, and like that in terms of on the other hand that that sense of rest and recovery. So there's been a whole change of um, identity, I suppose, from David Ford, the, the footballer and goalkeeper, to David Ford, the, the coach, mentor, Brett worker, and taking a, a different different line in, in the next part of my life and, and that journey. So I'm just looking forward to it. And I've had some amazing experiences today, whether it's, you know, going to shamans in South America, to seeing yogis up in the Himalayas, to visiting the reservations in, in North America. So it's been been amazing to, you know, to grace the likes of Wembley, um, grace some of the best stadiums in, in the world and, and to play against some of the best players to, 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 you know, it's been such a contrast. It's been such a journey. It's been, been amazing. David, thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, guys. All the best. 